Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Maz McConnell to the podcast. Maz is the senior pastor of Nidra Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. He's the director of 20 Schemes, a church planting and revitalization initiative in Scotland. He's also co-director of the Acts 29 initiative called Church in Hard Places. Maz, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thanks, man. Yeah, good to have you here in conversation. We're recording this podcast in the context of T4G. Came back across the pond to be here, and uh, you said you're in the States for about two weeks. Is that right? So far, I've been here about a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been three or four states, I think. And so what have you been doing here? Done some Church in Our Places workshops in Baltimore. Um, I've been to Nebraska. We did some um, teaching there. Um, I've been doing some stuff in Virginia with um, a washer, hot cry. Sure. Good. Well, we're delighted to have you here. Appreciate your ministry from afar. So we're talking about church in hard places, or in particular, pastoring in hard places. So, as the vast majority of listeners to this podcast are, are young men in the ministry, preparing for ministry, so pastoring, preaching, local church ministry as a topic that animates our listeners. So it's good to have you on this podcast to talk about pastoring in hard places. And the reality is many, many of our seminary graduates of those in ministry in the 21st century are going to be pastoring in, in hard places. Now, your context is particularly challenging, and I want you to flesh that out in just a moment. But on the front end, I just want to say, look, this is ministry in the 21st century to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, the wind will probably not be in your back, at your back culturally or within your particular community context, but it's going to be going to be a challenge. Now, where you are in Nidri is a particular challenge. So give us a, a, a context of what life is like that, uh, what life is like there, uh, before we even get to what ministry is like there. What's the community? What's the, these schemes like? What, what's your setup? Yeah, so a, a scheme, it's very hard to sort of give a cultural equivalent to a scheme for, for American people. There's just, as I said to you earlier, they're a mix between um, a um, trailer park community, a project community, and a North American Indian reservation community. So basically, um, just after the Industrial Revolution, when the slums were cleared out around the UK, particularly about Scotland now, um, housing, low-income, cheap housing was built for the working-class poor. Lots of industry at the time in our communities were mining, um, largely. And then um, some, a lot of these communities, they can house anywhere from two to 20,000 people. And then about 40% of Scotland is made up of schemes. It's about two million people. And um, they have been, most of them have been in social and physical decline um, for decades. There was a lot of gentrification going on there. So, but the areas where you would have very high unemployment, five or six times the national average, where you'd have very high mental health issues, addiction issues, um, you'd have. Uh, very high infant mortality rates, probably four or five times the national average. Um, yeah, lots of lots of good things happening, but lots of social disadvantage. And so, in in these schemes, now you use the analogy. You said it's like a trailer park, um, a a an Indian reservation. And uh, I believe the third analogy you chose was like a, a housing project. Well, that communicates in North America. All three of those communicate. I, I have pastored in years past 
uh, in settings, not that challenging, but in settings where you had a, a lot of very poor individuals. And so that, that often brings with it just certain challenges. And what I learned over the years in those settings is oftentimes when you, when you lead someone to Christ, uh, that really is the beginning of the work. Yeah. As far as because their, their family's often broken, there are a lot of personal challenges, a lot of background challenges. And so it, it really is a life on life form of ministry. So I guess just to delve into this further for you, how long have you been there? Uh, let us get give us a sense as to what ministry is like there day to day, week to week. So I've been there 11 years now. So I came 11 years ago to revitalize what was a dying, uh, or certainly not a growing church ministry they hadn't seen. You know, converts for decades, uh, and uh, the church was under the church building was under constant attack from the locals. Um, car, their cars were being set on fire. They were being assaulted in the street. I mean, it was a brutal place to come. Uh, and so I came, my wife and my two children. We moved in into the community, and um, I've been revitalizing that church. And then out of that, five years ago, we built another ministry called Twenty Schemes. Good. And so in that context, you wrote a book called Church in Hard Places by you and Mike McKinley and uh, Church in Hard Places, how the local church brings life to the poor and needy. So flesh out the book for us. What, what was the, uh, the genesis behind the book? Obviously, your ministry there. What are you trying to accomplish in the book? Um, flesh it out for us. So yeah, we're trying to accomplish a few things in the book. I've been um, in ministry now. 19 years, so prior to that I was planting with street gangs in South America, in Brazil. So um, I've been around, I grew up on the streets, I was on the streets at two. Uh, uh, grew up on the streets, in and out of care homes, all my life in maximum security prison by the time I was 21, before I got converted. Um, and so I know a little bit about life on the street. Yeah, and in that context, tell us your conversion story. I was actually converted reading Matthew Henry commentary on the Bible, reading the Book of Romans. Um, and so, were you incarcerated then, or were you out no, of prison? No, so I just got out of prison. So I, when I first met Christians, I said I was arrested. <laughs> when I first heard the gospel, I wasn't happy being called a sinner. And so I was a uh, little man syndrome, they call it, angry and aggressive. So I was arrested. And then over a process of three or four years, and my jail sentence, these Christians witnessed to me. And then when I got out of jail, this Christian guy gave me a place to live in his house. Um, I went to church for the first time, didn't like that much. Uh, was interested in Jesus though, quite fascinated by Jesus. Read this commentary, um, was as I said, was converted, reading the book of Romans. And then that began. Um, I began to go to a local church, get discipled by a mature Christian guy. Because obviously I had no cultural background, no understanding of what church was or what he did completely out of my culture and so the early years he helped me to navigate that and then as I've gone on in Christian ministry and, you know I went on and got my my, my first degree and then my, my second degree and gone on into ministry um, the sort of gap between the evangelical church in the UK and the US the gap between the church you know highly educated university-educated individuals, largely in the UK, about 85% of all evangelicals have got a university degree. Well, it's like, that's a massive gap between that and the communities that I come from. And so how lots of Christians try and bridge that gap is through mercy ministries, mercy outreaches, ministry to the poor. And then what I'm arguing in the book is that's insufficient. 
The best mercy ministry is a healthy local church where the gospel is preached, the whole counsel of God is proclaimed to people and that they can grow in community into a, uh, a life of Christ-likeness and service. So flesh that out for a moment. Or before, before we get to that, why the book? The premise of the book. What are you hoping to accomplish through the book? Pastoring or church in hard places? Well, I'm trying to get particularly young people, a generation of young people, are being lost to join parachurch organizations, particularly, because they see that's the only outlet for social justice and ministry to the poor. And I'm saying, well, hang on a minute. The church, we need to, we need to reclaim some of the ground in our communities, and we need to be offering options uh, for our young people to come and train and work and be developed in churches in our communities. The problem is churches don't exist in our communities, therefore we need a whole generation to come in and help us plant churches, which is what we're currently trying to do. That's what, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is this. Um, guys from my background are very far, and few and far between in Christian leadership. So we're great for testimony nights at church, but you know, not too many of us make it to be elders or church pastors. Not too many of us afford to, to go to seminaries. And I'm saying we need to look at that and address that balance as well. How are we going to grow the next generation of indigenous leaders for our community? So the book addresses it. Mez, let's stop just for a moment for a word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. All right, I'm back with Mez McConnell. We're talking about pastoring in hard places. Right. So I want to go back to your comments about the social ministries and how that is or isn't a part of the church's evangelistic outreach toolkit. Mm -hmm. How does that play out where you're pastoring? How are you in, engaging in, you know, whether it's clothing ministries or feeding you know, food pantries how is that a part or not a part of, of your church, in particular ministry in your community? Yeah, so we don't have food pantries and clothing ministries because um, we've no need for them. Um, we, uh, we are a local church in our community and uh, we um, decide, you know, the problem with the many evangelical, reformed evangelical churches, as is, they do, discipleship is messed up. So you said earlier, and this is true, evangelism is easy in our communities. What's hard is discipleship. Mm -hmm. And discipleship in our communities requires more than let's meet up once a week just to do the, the work. It requires modeling, what, you know, I've got a guy who gets converted, he's got three children to three different women on the scheme. He's converted now. What does that mean? How's he going to be a father? How's he going to be a responsible, you know, Christian? What's godliness going to look like? And so he needs male and female role models around him to model for him daily what it means to live for Jesus. And when you just, if you're a church that just engages what I call drive-by ministries, right? Just drive in, throw a few, throw some nice things around for a couple of hours, maybe share the gospel and leave. 
my contention is that's completely insufficient. What we need, we need to be living in these communities, growing gospel, a solid gospel witness in these communities, and engaging, to use your phrase, life on life discipleship. That's how we're going to grow strong churches, and that's how we're going to grow the next generation of believers. Well, and, and to Americanize this for a moment, and there are some similarities, obviously some dissimilarities, Maz, but um, back to my own previous ministry context at times, when when in the American mindset, in the American culture, in the American church, um, church tends to be big business. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but I mean that in a sense of big buildings, big ministry initiatives, big church staff, a lot of money has to be there to support that. That brings with it, whether we think of it in intentional ways or, or clear-headedly or not, it brings with it almost this tacit desire to win people to Christ who can help to fund the big enterprise. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things that I've learned over the years in ministering, and again, some contexts that were more challenging is, you may, if you win the neighborhood of Christ, and the neighborhood is a broken neighborhood, drugs, broken homes, all the social pathologies that go with it. Uh, again, the, the, the work just begins. It doesn't end when you win them to Christ, A. B, there's life-on-life life work. Everything from, again, how you sort through some of these things, as you just mentioned, well, one man with three kids by three different women. What does that look like? How, how can you construct a home that, that best reflects God's glory? Mm-hmm. Um, they may be unemployed. They, they may still have lingering addiction issues. Um, they may not know how to balance a checkbook. You know, they're just basic kind of life skills. And then to uh, make it all the more daunting is that you may spend a massive amount of time loving on them, discipling them life on life, and they, they never in a position to support the church financially. Mm-hmm. So my point is, my therefore is not that, that, that obviously that, commu- that ministry isn't worthwhile and we should not eagerly engage it. My point is when you put that in the American context, it's all the more daunting at the same time, it's all the more needed. Does it make sense? Yeah, and again, it's another reason why we wrote the book. This whole, I mean, I've been planting churches now. This is my 19th year, you know, long before it got sexy. Right. Um, uh, in, in difficult communities. And um, church planting is big business, as you've said. And so the general church planting models being perpetrated by particularly Western Reformed evangelical Christians is... University campuses, city centres, build-up areas, or near financial districts, have a three to five year, you know, business plan to become completely fiscally independent, and they just don't work in our communities. And again, part of the reason I wrote the book is we need to reassess how we're doing that. And then there's there's a this sort of theological lie called the trickle down effect. So if we plant rich churches, and you know engaging justice and mercy, that, that benefit if we reach the culture shapers, that benefit trickles down to the poor, and that actually isn't true in experience. In fact, I think uh, it's the trickle-up effect. It's when you reach the poor communities, it's when you reach the difficult places that actually we begin to see uh, changes, which we've seen huge changes in our community. We have a membership of 70, about attendance maybe about between 80 and 120 on a Sunday. So in, I mean, I'm a mega church pastor in my right, right. world, right? And we've seen crime go down 400% in the last five years. I mean, these aren't things that we plan for, but they're just... Yeah, the social ramifications of the, the gospel. benefits, you know, of the, of the gospel. And now we have, poli- you know, we have policemen in our congregation. We have guys who've never worked, 
criminal, really. That's the gospel. So, church in hard places. Yeah. How do you define a hard place? We're defining it as um, where life is hard, difficult, uh, whether for financial or uh, health or, yeah, or social reasons. And I'm clear in the book, we're clear in the introduction, actually. In many ways, um, many of my friends who are pastors in more affluent communities are in a harder place than we are. Because, I mean, how difficult is it for people who've got, you know, two Mercedes, live in a gated house, cash in the bank, three nice holidays a year, how difficult it is to reach those people with the gospel? They are hard, right? They are self-sufficient. They don't think they need anything. Whereas in our communities, it is easy. I can talk to people about Jesus all day long, every day. And so, um, so we're not saying that our ministry is any more difficult than the normal church pastor. But what we're saying is there was particular places of economic, social. Uh, difficulties where I don't think the church is doing its job. So, a person listening listen to this podcast, Maz, man, they, they may be thinking, boy, this sounds pretty bleak, sounds pretty challenging. Um, if God calls me to do that, I, I guess I will. Kind of hope He doesn't call me there. Someone may be thinking that. Yeah. Obviously, there are immense blessings as well. There's joy, there's joy in this yeah. context. So, flesh that out. Well, what, what has been most fulfilling for you about it? What, what has been most enjoyable for you about it? Seeing people convert. We've seen a lot. I mean, my church is generally now first-generation Christians. We don't get what we call free transfers. You know, Christian gets upset with the big city centre church and they leave and go to another one downtown. No, no one leaves their church and thinks I'm going to go with scheme. So all our growth is conversion growth. So we've seen, you know, a lot of people. We now have in the five years since we started twenty schemes, we now have seven church plant sites across five cities in Scotland. That's encouraging. Almost every month we hear a story around the scheme house, somebody being saved, being converted. We um, currently are tr in the process of training over 40 leaders, men and women, who are coming to either be church planters, gospel workers, female outreach workers. That's encouragement, and that's encouragement. There's so many encouragements. At the harvest, our harvest field is the ripest. The problem is nobody wants to go. Because when you think, even in the US, when you think project, you're not thinking, that looks like it's a great career move when I leave seminary, right? Right. And that's, that's the problem. And I'm saying we need to get back into these harvest fields. And the, the schemes, yeah. as they're labeled, which again are these places that were built historically for the working poor yeah. in the post-industrial context. Now they're there. Most people in those are unemployed or underemployed, a lot of brokenness, yeah. a lot of poverty. Um, and you said 40%, 40 percent, four zero percent of all those in Scotland live in a scheme. Just to give you context, Glasgow has ninety seven schemes just on its own. Okay, and so about forty percent of the population live in these schemes. And you said, did I hear you say it's about five million people total? Two million. So two five, million. Scotland's five million. People okay, that's right. That's right. About two million. And how many evangelical churches? Do you have any sense how many evangelical yeah, churches? Yeah, I would say. You take out our church plants. I, I don't know. Handful? A handful. It, at best. Here's the problem. In our communities now, there are church buildings. So you've got the right. traditional Church of Scotland buildings, but they've got 
you know, men and women in there who don't believe the Bible, don't believe the resurrection of Jesus, don't believe anything, so they're useless. And then, but you've got uh, old gospel-loving churches, but the culture's passed them by. Yeah, Life has passed them by, and they're useless. And here's the point. The liberals believe the evangelicals, the evangelicals blame the liberals, but both of these institutions are dying. They'll be gone in a generation. Yeah. And so in the middle, this massive vacuum of people has come all sorts of weird and wacky beliefs. And I'm saying, as conservative, theologically reformed Baptists, as a conservative, theological Christians, we need to get back in the game and reverse the trend. So speak directly to, let's say, young men in my seminary, yeah. young men at Together at the Gospel Conference. Yeah. Why should they consider pastoring or serving in a context like 20 Schemes? Why should they intentionally seek out hard places? Well, I mean, they don't have to intentionally seek out 20 Schemes. This is an advert for 20 Schemes. But you should check out 20schemes.com to find out about us. Um, I think, I mean, my question is, who's going to go? If, we, if you don't go, who, who is going? Line me up the, gener the next generation willing to give it all for the Lord Jesus. You know, I hear about all these books, Radical, and hear that they chat on the stage about righteousness and justice from Amos 5 last night, and I'm thinking to myself, well, good, you're talking about it, but some someone, you know, in, in, in generations past, you know, Adam Aaron Judson, somebody was the first to go, and we need, we need, we need young men and women willing to go, listen, I'm not going to follow sort of middle-class educated model of, of ministry. I'll go to seminary, I'll go out, I'll start at a small church, I'll work my way up to a big church and a good life. But to go, no, actually, I'm purposely going to go and spend my life on behalf of the poor and the broken in my, on my own doorstep. Mission isn't just anymore with the 21st century. It's not just the, the sexy stuff overseas. It's all around us on our doorstep. Mez, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Brother, it's been great to get to know you, That's hear cool. your story, become acquainted with your book, and uh, God bless you in your work there. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.